Growing a successful design business is hard work. There's so much to do and so little time to get it all done, not to mention the actual design work. The good news is that we are here to help. I'm Krista, the WordPress developer and website strategist from KristaRay.co. And I'm Corey, the designer and creative coach from CoreyWoodard.com. In the Get Back to Design podcast, we're going to share strategies and tools to help streamline and grow your design business, ditch the code and anything else you don't love, and well, get back to design. Grab a cup of coffee, open that Illustrator file you've been working on, and let's dive in. Hey, everybody. I am so excited today to bring Jason on the podcast. And Jason and I were actually introduced through a mutual friend. And literally from the second I landed on his website, I was like, okay, he has to be on the podcast. And he actually helps freelancers, but especially web developers and designers live the life uh, on their own design through coaching and community so they can specialize their business and build recurring revenue. And actually, unlike all of our guests up to this point, Jason is actually a developer, not a designer. So I'm excited to have a different point of view and get someone a little more nerdy like myself on here to talk about things. Uh, But something I really love is that even though he has all of these great systems, he does this coaching, he has programs for freelancers, he still offers client services as well. He's not someone that gets into coaching, gets good at their craft, and then stops teaching other people, just assuming that nothing in the industry will change. He is present, he's in it, doing the work, and knows like what is going on right now in the industry. But today, we have got him on to talk about spotting bad clients and positioning yourself to be respected, which can really make your design or development business so much more enjoyable. So I'm really excited to bring him on to help us with this. Welcome, Jason. We're so excited to hear from you. Thanks for having me, Krista. I'm excited to be here. Uh, thank you for all the kind words for sure. And yes, I will always do client services work because just me as a person, uh, to my core, I feel like I can't help other people unless I'm walking the walk as well. And so, yes, I'll always do the client work and what, but the passion really is, is, is helping other developers and designers, uh, reach there and realize their dreams and, and reach what they actually wanted to accomplish when they first started their own business in and of itself. I love it so much. Why, before we jump in, I would love to hear a little bit more about you. So let people know how you got started with your business and what your journey has kind of looked like up until this point. Yeah. So, I mean, as you mentioned, I'm a web developer. Uh, that's where I started. That's still very much the bread and butter of the business. Um, I've shifted a little bit um, in that, but yeah, I mean, my, I always, <laughs> I've always done the side hustle on the side, even when I worked full-time. I mean, there was, it was just always in me to work at my own desk and not somebody else's. I wanted the time freedom, um, the flexibility, you know, even as a teenager, like I knew that, you know, while as a teenager, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I knew that as an adult, I would, if I just want to off on the afternoon, I should be able to do that without asking for permission. Right. Um, and so I always, when, and now I'm dating myself a little bit, but in the mid nineties, when the internet started coming around and I was in high school and college, it came to a point where I was like, Hey, this might be the vehicle to help me get to where I want to. Because I mean, without the internet, I don't know where I would be right now. I'd probably be sitting at somebody else's desk, but, um, you know, 
it, it came down to really just, you know, honing my craft as a developer, always leveling up my skill set, but also understanding more about the businesses that were my clients and what their needs were and trying to find the solution that best fit for them. Uh, one of the mantras I've always said for day one was the, the, the technology should fit the business and not the other way around. And I've never, I've always looked at technology as a tool, right? So I started as a Java developer, went to Ruby on Rails, went to custom PHP work, landed in the WordPress space, WooCommerce. Um, and while the, the industry changes, the tool wi tools wise, uh, the services and the people who I serve are still very much the same. It's just the tool set that I help them you know, build, solve a problem that they're looking to solve, um, may change. And so mm -hmm. I, I just always try to fit that into <clears throat> any conversation that I have with the lead to make sure that they understand that I'm not here to push any specific technology to them while I specialize in specific technologies. Uh, if it's not a fit for them, then I'll refer them to somebody else. And I do that plenty. Um, you know, I specifically nowadays, I, I, for, what I focus in on is e-commerce businesses and established e-commerce businesses. And for me, e-commerce is anybody that's taking a transaction online. So you can be selling physical goods, but you can also be selling services or coaching or membership websites, digital downloads, those sort of things. And I focus in on helping them get more customers, repeat customers and create raving fans. And I do that through web development, but also some email marketing and <laughs> the buzz term there is behavioral marketing, and that kind of ties the two together. Um, and so uh, while I focus specifically on ConvertKit and Drip on the email marketing side, if somebody comes to me and they're Infusionsoft or Entreport or MailChimp, well, if they're not willing to make the switch, if it's a good switch for them, if it makes sense for them, and they want to stick there, then I just refer them somewhere else because that's not uh, a tool set of mine. And so I always really try to stay in my lane and know what I do um, and how I can help best. And then uh, everybody else is just handled in a different way. I love that so much. And it's something I get frustrated with a lot. Um, looking at how designers and developers tend to do things is I feel like there's a lot of people out there who know one platform, which I think it's good. I think specializing is great, but then anyone who comes in the door, they're trying to force them onto that platform. Uh, and I, I hate, I hate watching that happen. So it's, I, I just love hearing you talk about um, how, how set you are in, you know, you have your specific specialty, but you're not afraid to then refer people out when they're not a good fit. And I hope that's a note everyone listening takes. Um, do not be afraid to specialize, but also don't be afraid to refer people out if your tool set or, you know, what you're using uh, to make your websites is not the best fit. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, but today we are covering spotting bad clients and kind of positioning yourself to be respected, which, which really go hand in hand. Before we dive in, I'd love to know, did you have a bad experience or two that led you to pay closer attention to these things and help other people with them? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think if you're in the services business, you don't have a bad experience. Uh, yeah. And if you are and you haven't, maybe you just started yesterday, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it was, it was really just the bad experience. And when I say bad experience, I don't mean that it's any 
person's fault, whether it's mine or the other clients. It's just that we're on the same page with the same goal in mind and maybe success was measured differently. Um, right. And so, you know, just case one, one that sticks out for me is I just had a client that they had this need, right? It wasn't specified really as to what the success metric was going to be. Um, but it was, they wanted more people coming through their website, opting in and then signing up for a membership. Um, and this was very early on in my career. And I said, awesome, I can do that. I can help you out with that. So we started working on the project and then all of a sudden the whole thing unraveled. They were like, oh, well, we want a brand new website. I was like, okay. And I said, that's fine. We can do that. Um, they wound up buying the theme and they were saying, I want to tweak the theme uh, and all of these other things. And it was just this big ball snowball by the end of it. Like that was just so big of all these tiny little things that happened all because the one, the scope of work wasn't defined well enough. The, the, the success metric wasn't defined well enough. And finally it was more of how they perceived my services towards them. Meaning that they, you know, looked at me as like a pair of hands on the keyboard and they thought maybe that it was more of a, Hey, look, uh, we just give him tasks to do and he can write the line of code or, you know, he can move the pixel here and there. Um, and that, so the whole thing unraveled. And that was, that was at the point where I was just like, okay, this can't ever happen again. Um, and while, you know, I mean, that was years ago, that was probably, what's it, 2019. So that was probably about 2015. Um, and while over the past four years, you know, I've had bits of that you know, with various different clients over the years, but I've never had that big like explosion type of disaster client, if you will. Yeah. Like I feel like we all have to have that situation to, to make our own processes better and to know what to look out for and stuff like that. So yeah, the way you started out at the beginning of that question, where if you haven't had something yeah, like yeah. this happen, you're probably newer. Like, I feel like it just has to happen that way. You have to have annoying or bad things happen to figure out how to fix your process, what to look out for, how to steer clients in the right direction. But if we can speed things along for people with this episode, we'll definitely give that a try. So let's let's dive into actually spotting bad clients first. So we're not necessarily saying that anytime a project goes, mm -hmm. goes wrong or gets frustrating, the client is bad, but sometimes it could be. Um, so let's just dive right in. What are a few of your best tips for spotting someone who isn't going to be very fun to work with? First things first is, is and it's important for me, uh, is personality. Um, we need to know, you know, that we can work together. And it, while the tech and everything else may match up, if if the personality, even in just the, the conversations during the initial sales call or two, uh, don't line up and we're stepping on each other's sentences, we're you know, not laughing at each other's corny jokes or whatever it is, then how's the project going to work together? Right. Like, and are, do they understand me from a personality perspective? Like I'm a family guy. Uh, you know, I love sports. 
I work from home, like all of those, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm pretty blunt about things where they're, you know, I don't look at it as being offensive, but I'm going to be challenging to people and ask questions and it comes from experience and those sort of things. And if the personality connection isn't there, well, that's a red flag for me. Um, I have this rule that if there's two red flags, we don't work together. I don't care what it is. And the red flag could be, you know, MailChimp, right? Because I only work with ConvertKit and, and Drip. Um, so that's one, right? And so that, now there's only another one. So I don't even get the th three strikes because I find that in hindsight, when I allowed that third strike, we oftentimes signed an agreement to work together. And then it just, the project wasn't as successful as it could have been. Um, you know, as a perfect example, I'm a diehard Met fan, right? So like if the owner of the New York Mets came to my house and knocked on my door, that's red flag number one, right? Because I don't want anybody coming to my house, knocking on my door, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I, that for me is a, is a critical point. Now, to be more, a little bit more tactful and trying to spot some red flags, I have a project application and that's the entry point at which a lead comes to my business. If they don't want to fill that out and they want to quick call or they fill that out with like a lot of NAs or something of that nature just to bypass the thing, that for me is a bet, a red flag because the way that my business runs, I communicate a lot through email. I communicate a lot through Slack. If they're just trying to bypass tech to get to me, then that's not going to work all that well, right? And so mm -hmm. I I use that project application almost as a disqualifier, right? There's certain key questions that I ask on there, but in and of itself, overall, if I noticed that they didn't, and, it, and it's not an overly complex application, basically it takes five or 10 minutes to fill out if you've thought about the project at all. Um, if they just kind of pass through that to get on a quick sales call, uh, then... I know from experience, that's just somebody that's looking to pick my brain a little bit and we're never is never actually going to become a client in the first place. So I, I encourage anybody to put these sort of filters in because if you can disqualify people coming in before that you even get on a call, um, that's, that to me is the way in which you start to, un to understand what the good clients look like because you know, as, as a part of, you know, like <clears throat> who I help with developers and designers from coaching and all that, a lot of people come to me and they say like, Hey, I, you know, I need more clients. And I say, okay, well, what does that look like? I mean, what kind of client are you looking for? And a lot of people, a lot of times people don't know, or they know mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm looking for anybody that's uh, in the WordPress space that wants to build a WordPress website. Okay, well, that's that's very broad and very <laughs> vague, and and so understanding who that client is, I always encourage like, who are your existing clients that you want to work with, and work backwards from there, right? And so I did this over the course of a a week, sitting on my couch at night, probably about 10, 20 hours over the course of the week. Um, when I was struggling in my own business and I was very much a generalist and I took on a lot of different projects, but what I did was I looked at my current client roster and I just jotted down the names 
And then I jotted down some traits and common points amongst all of those clients, just on a blank piece of paper, like got away from the digital, was in a notebook. And it was just, Hey, out of all of these traits of these people, what are some common things that I enjoyed, why I enjoyed those projects. Right. And then I did the other side of things like, why don't I like the projects? Right. Um, and what you find out there is you start to see at a high level, some of the things that you are sussing out for an ideal client. And then some of the things that you're sussing out for a non-ideal client. So what I took was, is those non-ideal things, put them in the form of a question and put it on a project brief. Now I know if they answer this question in the affirmative or not, I know which way they fall. And so just to be able to analyze who you're working with already and who you like and who you don't like and the reasons why those they fall into those things, you can then build your own custom red flags list. And you know, for a long time, I had a sticky note in the upper corner of my monitor where that red flags list was there so that during sales calls, I, it was front and center. Like I didn't even... I didn't have to think about it. It wasn't just in the back of my mind. It was like, oh, oh, there's two. All right. So let's refer to them away. <laughs> right. And so uh, I would encourage anybody to do that because my red flags list is not necessarily everybody's red flags list, but you know, how, how you come up with that list, put it front and center where you always get to see it. I love that so much, like a literal system that people can use to make up their own red flags. And I feel like a, a hard part of um, like identifying a client that's going to be difficult is for a lot of people, myself included, it's just a gut check, like throughout the onboarding process. And then when it's time to send that contract, it's like, do I feel okay about this? But, the, but even then, if you don't have like like your, your two strike rule, which I love, if you don't have something like that, you can still kind of overrule yourself and be like, oh, it'll be fine. And then Absolutely. regret it later. So I love that. That's definitely going to be an action step in the show notes for you guys to figure out things you like, dislike about clients, um, get a list made, put it somewhere, whether it's on a sticky note on your computer, on a file that's easy to pull up um, and get that two strike rule in place. I love that. I've never heard that before. That is a great. So, okay, let's say we follow the system, which I love, but they, someone some, somehow misses the red, red flags, misses the signs that this is going to be a really challenging pro project, but it becomes really clear that the client is going to be difficult after they've already started. What would you recommend they do? Do they do something specific to stop it? Do they just, you know, keep going, push through? What would be your recommendation? I guess it depends on, on one the person's nature, um, as meaning the person providing the services, uh, you know, and how their personality is. I'm of the fan in my world. I deliver on what I say I'm going to deliver on. Now, depending on how, if it's just going to be like me dealing with them for a week, then fine. I'll just push through. If it's more of like a three month project, well, then we're going to have a hard, a hard conversation, you know, depending on how hard. The, the pushback is or what happened. Um, but it's really just a reset back, right? So in other words, you and the client are on the same page. You want the same things. You want the same goal. So oftentimes I see, you know, in my experience, as well as other hearing other people's stories is oftentimes they gets, it just kind of gets misaligned and meaning like, you know, they're just, Maybe the client's a little unhappy. They're expecting more 
maybe you know they thought you were going to do something, but you had no idea that that was going to you know that was a thing, or they needed that, or anything of that nature. It's really just over communication and bring everybody back on the same playing field. Um, you know, clear the air, if you will. Yeah. And it's just a conversation to kind of say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting this feeling that maybe, you know, something's misaligned here. And and I want to just have a quick five, 10 minute chat. And, you know, we can do it over Skype or Zoom or whatever, or over a phone call. Um, and just, you know, kind of reset, make sure everybody's on the same page and, and, and clear the air, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that that more than likely resets everything and the relationship's great after that because it's really just a matter of communication Mm -hmm. uh, and setting expectations like i i have an onboarding sequence when anytime a client comes on i'm a big fan of getting that kickoff call it booked in and communicating off of the back of that signing of that contract and that initial payment as quickly as possible because what happens is, is a lot of times even if it's just 24 hours after they made a, a, a 50% or 30% deposit, whatever your payment structure is, that's a big amount of money that they just gave you. And now they haven't heard from you in 12 hours or 24 hours. Just And while you may be doing everything like setting up the project and doing all of the things that you need to do and actually working on the internal things that you need from them, just instead of just take a pause, reach out, say thanks. This is what I'm going to be doing. Uh, one, two, and three. You can use a tool like Bonjuro with a personalized video. Even it makes it super simple. Uh, you know, I do it through email. Um, as soon as they get payment, they get a, a, a reply to me from me uh, that tells them exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm setting some stuff internally. You're going to be getting you know emails on this and this and this, and just set that tone right off the bat so they know they're being taken care of they know that buyer's regret doesn't happen immediately um and it's and again it's just over communication don't assume that they know what you're doing and don't assume that they understand all the things that you're going to deliver for them because most times they don't so uh you know i i just always kind of try to once you start to feel that trust or some pullback or push you know on things that you're suggesting that they should do then it's a matter of just resetting and and coming back on the same same page again that yeah that is such a good point and i mean it's such an easy thing to do but when you're like in the middle of a project and you feel like things aren't going well it's funny how easy it is to miss something as simple as getting on a quick call finding a way to reset and like a lot of the times i feel like we we assume the client mean something like really negatively or in, you know, this aggressive way when really they just wrote a message. They weren't thinking about how that tone might be taken and, mm-hmm. you know, communicating through text like that can just be difficult sometimes. So I definitely agree that um, getting on quick calls like that can, can just really change the game for projects that don't feel like they're going well. And looking back at on some of my projects that haven't gone well, I wish I would have done that. It's been a while mm-hmm. um, since I've like fired a client or anything like that. But looking back, one specifically, if we would have just gotten on a call, it would have been fine. And I bet we'd even still be working together. Um, so I love that that's how easy it can be. Um, and a lot of times it's just a communication issue. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, and I get it, like, especially a lot of us developers, designers, we're introverts. We're not, we don't want confrontation. We we want to avoid it at all costs. Uh, but you know, while I am an introvert too, like I'm also running a business, they're also running a business. Mm-hmm. And 
as big as this world is, it's very small too. So I don't want my reputation being potentially harmed when it, there was no real reason when I could have just taken five minutes out of my day to pick up a phone. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I always look at it from that perspective is like, okay, I need to figure out if it, if it's not going to work in the end anyway, it's not going to work, but at least I gave it my best foot forward. And the person on the other side of the table, you know, at least they put their best foot forward and we kind of couldn't make it work mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Cause sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I'd love to transition a little more into positioning yourself to be respected because I feel like that just goes hand in hand, even in being able to have those conversations when things aren't going as well. But it seems like when you're in a position that clients are respecting you, it it makes dealing with quote unquote bad clients a bit easier to deal with. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's how how they respect you, right? Like if you just take your relationships as a person, right? Like your parents and, and grandparents or mentors or, you know, friends and things of that nature, you have a level of respect for them. And mm -hmm. why you have that level of respect, it's because it was earned in some sort of way or they positioned, you know, your relationship wound up in that position, right? Um, we all have that circle of friends of the slacker and that the person that you know will pick you up at three o'clock in the morning, no matter where you are at any given time, right? And so you want to position yourself as that person, not the slacker, right? And so how I look at it is, is it's got to go from step one, right? Right off the bat, you need to position yourself as somebody that's going to be able to help and serve them in the right, right way, if you will. Uh, and you could do that simply by just following up. Like, you know, I did some research, I guess it was maybe about in the springtime, right? It was, and the follow-up, a lot of people don't follow up um, to a point where it's like, if you followed up with a lead five times, you're more, you're going to close the deal 85% of the time with an ideal client, right? And so most salespeople in the business world, since the, t the dawn of time, they follow up. They follow up multiple times. And the reason is, is because you're becoming front of mind. Uh, you're staying front of mind. You're the one that they, when they think of the thing that they need, your name is going to be front and center. So if you just know what you do for your clients, bottle it up in an email sequence, five emails, seven emails, and put that into a sequence right off the bat when they start engaging with you. And all you have to do is just send them resources, links, you know, definitions, right? Because again, don't assume that your lead knows everything you do. Like I, I work a lot on conversion rates and there's different conversion points, right? So a lot of times customers will come to me and they'll say, well, what's an average con conversion click-through rate or what's an average open rate. And, and so they don't understand the nuances between all these conversion points and really what they should be looking at in the first place. So that's my, I call them one-on-one -on -one emails that I send out. It's the one-on-one -on, -one on email marketing, mm -hmm. right? One-on-one -on, -one on e-commerce, you know, and you could just, not just if, if you're not a blogger, right? And you don't have articles on your own website, use articles that you know that you've read because guaranteed if you're in the services industry, you're looking at links all day long, looking at articles that are helpful. You're educating yourself. 
those are also useful to your leads as well because you're learning something and your your leads can learn from that as well and then you know that you're on the same page because they're both cons- you and the leads are consuming content and that's day one you're positioning yourself as that expert right? because most <laughs> it's it's shocking i ran like it real inexact poll on Twitter of my following. And it was like 80% of the people that answered this poll do no formal follow-up or their follow-up is just checking in on this to see if you wanted to set up a call. That's crazy. And if you know the stats are five, because usually what the stats were saying is that a decision maker in a company needs five touch points before they even make a sale, right? So if you know that that's going to be the conversion point, make five emails, right? It's pretty, and the fact that 80% of your contemporaries aren't doing this stuff, you're standing out already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can totally see how when you start off a relationship by educating and teaching them about the things they need to know to be successful with you in what you do, they're, they're going to be seeing you as an expert rather than coming in like we were talking about earlier and seeing you as a pixel pusher or someone who can throw a graphic together for them. They see you as more of an expert. Um, and I, I think that's something pretty easy that everyone mm-hmm. can put into place one, one way or another. Um, I'm wondering if you also think it comes down to like what the first steps of like the onboarding process look like in general, like someone who sends leads to like a regular contact form on their website versus having like an intake form that you talked about um, before with then like an email saying, here's the next steps you'll hear from me in this this amount of days. Do you think stuff like that also helps with this respect factor? Absolutely. I mean, whether you have a contact form or a project brief that I call it, uh, as long as you follow up with that with the next step, because it's a conversion, right? If they took time to fill out anything, even if it's just name, email, and a message on a contact form, well, what's the next step from that? Reply with that and give them some sort of expectation. You're going to follow up the next day, within a week, within five weeks, you know, whatever, whatever the expectation is. And it's just a simple auto reply email, Uh, you know, and you could do that because it's this, it's the process that you are uh, doing that shows your professionalism and that you've been down the road before. Uh, you know, that's, that's what any lead wants nowadays. Any, any company wants to know that <laughs> you know who to, who you work with, how you work with them and that you're going to get results for them. And so think about your own buying habits. Like if I just put in, if I was needed a plumber and I went to their website and put in a request to come look at my shower and I don't hear anything for the next 24 hours, I'm going to go look for the next plumber. Right. And so think about your own buying and expectations and things of that nature and and just put that into your business as the first step. Um, You know, obviously this evolves over years and I didn't just build this stuff overnight, but at least you know how your business runs, your leads don't. So share Mm -hmm. with your leads how your business runs and that's the, the best first step that you can do. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I realized like when you are giving them the next steps consistently and teaching them consistency consistently, there's no room for them to jump in and try to take over and like lead you in some random direction because you are in control being like, here's what we're doing now. Here's what's coming next. And they don't have to worry about trying to make it up themselves right. because you've told them how it's going. So 
yeah, I can see how powerful that is. And I love that you just brought all that up. And even if it, if it does happen where <clears throat> they turn the table on you and they say, Hey, uh, you know, let's just, you know, in my case, Hey, uh, what about Facebook ads, which I don't do. I don't do anything about Facebook ads. And I, I say, what about them? And I turn that back on them because the thing is, is it's who asks most questions is winning, right? So if they just hear about Facebook ads, maybe their friend says, hey, you run Facebook ads, we're running it and it's great for our business. That's probably all they heard, right? And now they're turning that back on me because I'm helping them with their website or their email marketing or whatever. And that loosely ties into it. So they might just say, well, somebody recommended that I should do that. I said, well, I could bring in somebody to the conversation. It's not exactly what we're focused on, the goals that you have. And I reiterate the goals. Um, and does that make sense to you? It's going to be an increased scope of work, maybe more investment, budget, time. Oh, no, no, never mind. I just wanted your feedback, right? And so just right. think about that. Like I always like, if you ask more questions, you're winning and you're in control. I like that. And that's nice and easy too. Um I feel like we covered so much good stuff today about like spotting the bad clients and having an actual system for it, which I'm just all geeking out about over here. Um, but then also positioning yourself to be respected. And I feel like there's lots of action steps we could give people, but is there like a specific number one action you would like to see someone take after listening today to get the biggest bang for the buck, I guess, with what we've talked about? Yeah. First, I think it starts with that red flags list as well as the, the the other side, like who is your ideal client? Who do you like to work with? Um, <clears throat> case in point, I did this exercise with a coaching client of mine and uh, her, she and her husband ran this agency and they did this exercise and they found out that they work with, <laughs> and it's such a, uh, a weird space and they didn't realize it at the time, but they like to work with white collar professional women in the greater Boston area. Like, and I'm okay. like, okay, well, that's great. And what they wound up doing is they basically changed their messaging and who they target and all that around that. And they were, I was like, okay, that's awesome. And it was all from a little scrap of paper that they just kind of jotted these notes down. And you find, when you look at it from that perspective, that 10,000 foot view perspective, and it's like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Like all of you, like, and it could be something like, you know, I like to work with professionals, meaning doctors and lawyers and things of that nature, or I like to work with online coaches, or I like to work with nonprofits, or I like to work with, uh, you know, businesses that uh, cater to, you know, children between nine and 14, you know, it could be anything like that, but you don't know that until you start to take a look at the common characteristics of the clients that you really enjoy to work with. Such a good point. And something that doesn't have to take a ton of time either mm -hmm. to be able to, to be able to kind of shift things in a way that really has a powerful impact. Yeah. So I think that would be a very beneficial exercise for anyone listening to do, but Jason, thank you so much for being on today. Where can everyone go to learn more about you, what you offer, keep up with you online? And I'd love for you to tell everyone about the Feast community as well. Sure. Uh, you can find me at Rez on Twitter. That's with three Zs. And Rez.com, same thing with three Zs. And if anybody is interested in building systems and processes, especially if you're a developer or a designer, uh, check out Feast. 
uh, feastcourse.com is where you can find out all the information there, but it's not just a, a course. It's a coaching platform, meaning when, as soon as you book in and you sign up, me and you are going to have a quick chat so that I can understand exactly where you are in your business and what you're looking for. And it's going to be centered around specialization so that you can build predictable income into your business. Uh, but we're going to have that quick chat so that I can build you a custom syllabus, if you will. So if you went to university or college, um, you know, you had that advisor that kind of said, Hey, your major is this, these are the courses that you need to take. That's kind of how I do it. And then I do quarterly check-ins to make sure that you're you know, getting what you need out of Feast, or if there's a way that I can help you in any sort of way further than what's inside of Feast. So it's not just a course, it's, it's more of a coaching platform and you get guidance from me. I don't want to leave anybody in the dust, so to speak, and lost in the shuffle uh, because I built Feast around what I hoped there was 10 years ago when I was in that spot. Um, and there wasn't anything like that out there. And I haven't seen much else out there for that. And so for me, that's really important. And uh, I would love to have a conversation. That all sounds incredible. Everybody make sure to go give Jason a follow. He has incredible resources, even just on his website. You're going to be drawn in real quick. Thank you so much for being on today, Jason. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening. For show notes, past episodes, and more information about the two of us, visit us online at getbacktodesign.co. If you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to Krista and I if you take two minutes to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. Now put what you learned into action so you can streamline and grow your business, ditch the code, and get back to design.